about unions in this country, if you think things are getting bad now, you haven't seen anything yet. We have to be strong. We have to come together. We have to have a common voice, and this is our union does that. For the New York State AFL-CIO, I'm Darcy Wells, and this is Union Strong. Welcome to the inaugural Union Strong podcast. This podcast is about and for working men and women. You'll hear podcasts that are issue-specific, sector and industry-specific, and shows that focus on issues of the day for our affiliates, such as strikes, rallies, and contract negotiations. We'll bring you stories from working men and women who will share their experiences of what being part of a union means to them. I will be your host. I'm the communications director at the New York State AFL-CIO. I first became a union member in 1992 when I started my career in broadcast TV as a member of what was then AFTRA and is now SAG-AFTRA, the Screen Actors Guild American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. And I proudly remain a card-carrying member of SAG-AFTRA today. Working along with me on this podcast is our digital director, Kevin Eitzman, who's responsible for all of our social media platforms and everything digital. He makes sure you have access to this podcast, to our Facebook page, our website, our Instagram and Twitter accounts. He also frequently trains members in digital media, runs the data for all our elections and assists in field operations. We're going to talk to Kevin later in the program. Joining me now as our first guest on the show is the president of the New York State AFL-CIO, Mario Salento. Mario, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Darcy. So you were first elected president in 2011 and actually began working at the state fed in 1992. But you've always been exposed to unions. It was part of your upbringing. Um, it's, is that what makes you so passionate about the labor movement? So you know, talk to me a little bit about those labor roots. Yeah, you know, uh, I grew up in the in the Bronx in the '80s and '70s and '80s, really. And uh, you know, g- growing up in the Bronx and at the time of the labor movement, really at a great uh, level of strength throughout not only New York City and the state but across the country. For me personally, it was really seeing up close what the organized labor movement meant to my family. My father um, was a union member; he's a rank and file member. Uh, his name was Ray Salento. And he was just very active in his union. He was uh, like the ultimate volunteer. He would volunteer for everything, which meant he wasn't home a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were times when he'd have to sit sit us down, myself and my sister, obviously my mom. We'd sit around the dinner table on the nights that he was home, and he'd have these conversations with us about why other children's parents were home and they'd see them more than we'd see him. And he would always explain to us, and he tried to make it simple, but it's difficult when you're 9 to 10 year old, years old to really get everything that your parents are ex- trying to explain to you. I see that now with my kids. But he'd say, look, he'd say, guys, uh, dad's not home as often as I'd like to be because I really believe in my union. And, you know, my union's not just about me. It's about my family. It's not just about the present. It's about the future. 
Now, like I said, I had a very difficult time, and my sister's two years younger than I, a very difficult time grasping exactly what that meant. Sure. My union's not just about me, it's about my family, it's not just about the present, it's about the future. And what he was trying to tell us in his own way was that this is for the greater good. This mm-hmm. is, I'm not doing this because it's so much fun for me, although I do enjoy it. He was saying that there's something bigger out there for all of us that I believe in and that is good for all of us as a family. So, you know, I, I, so I became a union member and I started to think back, well, when I was younger, my father would talk about, it's not just about me, it's about my family, it's not just about the present, it's about the future. And then uh, I didn't really, sort of, I, it was a conceptual, I guess is the best way to say it, Darcy, it was conceptual, it wasn't really practical yet, because I didn't have a family, I was a single guy, 21 years old. When I first thought I understood what my father was talking about was about 18 years ago. So it took about 10 years. And your father is gone at this point. Well, he had just passed away. Mm-hmm. And when he passed away, and he was, he was young when he passed away, when he passed away, um, my mom got the letter in the mail from Local 3 talking about and explaining to her that she was eligible, obviously, for his pension. And he was only 55, but he was still, she had worked there for, he had been a member for 37 years. I think he joined when he was 18. So his pension was not as, as large as it would have been had he worked into his 60s, but it was still, he was still eligible for it at that time. And she was uh, obviously eligible for whatever annuity funds money he had put away through his union through the years. So I, I saw firsthand that my mom, who was still working as a para professional at the time, not making an awful lot of money, mm-hmm. but that coupled really with my father's pension, which was probably more than she was making uh, in her job as a salary, what we realized, what I realized was this, is that she was able to live her life uh, as we'd all want to live in our later years, because she, she, re- she retired just shortly after he passed as well. She was able to live her, her retirement years with dignity, with self-respect. She never really had to ask either myself or my sister for anything. And it was, it was great to see. And that was because my father left behind that pension and those annuity funds. So I started to certainly understand now I'm an adult. I'm in my 30s. I, I see what my mother is, is, is reaping as a result of what my father was talking about 20 years earlier. And then I'd say another 10, 10 years after that, about six or seven years ago now, my mom passed away. When my mother passed away, um, I received a letter in the mail, mm-hmm. and my sister received a letter in the mail from Local 3. And this letter said that we were both eligible for um, the whatever was left in my father's annuity funds that my mother hadn't spent. Now, she didn't have to spend a whole lot of it because she was living off the pension. That's how good the pension was. Mm-hmm. So uh, we got the letter. I, I called my sister. She got the same letter, and... and my wife and I started to talk about, well, what do we want to do with this sort of newfound money? It wasn't, wasn't life-changing money. We weren't going to be able to buy a house with it, and probably even a brand new car, but enough where if you're, you know, you have a spouse, you sit down and you talk about these things. What do we want to do with it? So we decided we had three daughters or, you know, at the time, well, actually, yeah, we had three daughters at the time they were all born. Um, why don't we just take the money? We didn't expect it. Put it aside put it in a, in a college savings account, and we'll make believe we never got it. Fine, that's what we did. A few weeks after we got the letter, the first check came. They came in installments. The first check came. And I've said this many times to people who've asked me, when did you finally recognize what your father meant? I, I, I received the check that day. I signed the back of the check. I got a deposit slip, filled that out, went to the bank, gave it to the teller. The teller gave me back the receipt for the deposit. 
I kid you not, I got back in the car and as I was about to turn the key in the ignition, I just stopped for a second because sometimes these things just hit you in mm-hmm. a wave. And I, and I just said to myself, wow, you know, my father became a union member around 1965, something along those lines. Grace, my oldest daughter, is going to go to her first year of college in 2021, another two and a half years from now. So 65 to 2021 is about 56 years. So more than a half century after my father became a union member, in some small way, he helped to pay for that first year of college for Grace, my daughter, a granddaughter that he never even met mm-hmm. because my father had passed away long before Grace was born. He never even met Grace or any of my three daughters, obviously. But he's having this impact on her future. Well, it's that's, a great story. That's the, that's the point, right? The, the great part about it is that he, he never met them, but he knew that the, he, was, he was working towards something that was bigger than himself. He believed in this movement and he knew that this movement would give something back to him and his family long after he was gone. So now for me, it's not the conceptual, it's the practical. Grace does start college in two and a half years. I do have that sales, that same sum of money mm-hmm. in an account somewhere that, you know, with college these days, depending on where she goes, I don't know how far it's going to go, but it's going to help. It's going to help. And, and that's what this movement is all about, Darcy. That's, we're about helping our members. We're about helping our families. And it's, it's about a safety and security net for us in the present and in the future. That's what my father meant, and that's really what we stand for as a labor movement. And that's why uh, I'm proud to have the, the job that I have. I'm, I'm so pleased that we've you know, begun this podcast and talking to people about what it is that we believe in and talking about the issues that are important to working men and women, union and not. We were talking earlier about you starting your career at the State Fed at a young age. So you've got um, tremendous experience within New York State AFL-CIO. So what better person than to ask, what is the New York State AFL-CIO? What is our mission? What is our goal? Who, who are we and who do we represent? Uh, that's a lot. Well, let's go. Let's start with <laughs> this. Um, you're right. A lot of people don't really understand. And the same questions that I got 27 years ago when I first started here as the communications director, I'm sure the same questions you get now, which is, First line of the, of the story is, well, the labor union, New York State AFL-CIO, and you're right, we're not a union. We are a union of unions. We're an umbrella organization, sort of like think of the United Nations. We have in the state, yes, there are 200, there are two and a half million members who are members of labor unions who are part of the state AFL-CIO. They're, they're, they are part of 3,000 local unions. So there are 3,000 local unions under our umbrella. They come from public sector unions like a teacher or a nurse or a firefighter, private sector unions if you're a hotel worker or work in a grocery store, or building trades workers if you're an electrician or an iron worker or um, uh, a sheet metal worker. So they come from all uh, breaths and scopes of, of labor in terms of whether it's manual, what blue collar, white collar. So they're part of the state AFL-CIO. And our job is to get everyone together on the same page. We are, and we have different unions with different priorities. And that's, that's okay. That's the way it's supposed to be. Different unions have different issues they have to work toward that are important to their members. And it's our job at the state AFL-CIO to bring the labor movement together and work collectively for better wages, benefits, and conditions of employment for working men and women. And, and that's really the scope of what we do. So what would you say to a member or an affiliate, a local leader, what resources can they get from the state federation to help them? Right. Well, you know, our priorities are legislation and then uh, political action and then, of course, helping our affiliates 
uh, in their time of need when it comes to contracted situations with their with their employers, uh, helping them with rallies and, and, and getting public support for contract campaigns. So, you know, our first priority is legislation, passing legislation that, again, will make the law, the standard of living and the quality of life for working people better. And keeping in mind that when we fight for these issues, it's not just our members that benefit and prosper, all working men and women for the most part benefit and prosper. Now, yes, there are some particular issues from time to time that we work on that, that will help a particular union or will help organize labor specifically, sure. But a lot of the things we do, like when we fight and we lead the fight for a $15 minimum wage or paid family leave, or we're going to raise unemployment insurance benefits, which we were able to do a few years ago and raised it for the first time in 14 years. When we do those things, when we fight for those things, you know, it's not just union members who are going to make $15 an hour. The legislation, first of all, you can't do it that way, but the legislation doesn't say we're going to raise the minimum wage to $15 in the state of New York, but only for union members. We're going to give paid family leave in this state only to union members. Obviously, that's not the case. So everybody benefits, everybody prospers when the labor movement is strong and vibrant and successful. So that's our first goal, legislatively making sure that we can we can uh, pass legislation that enhances the lives of working people. How do we do that? We go out there and we work and support candidates and campaigns who, who support our point of view, who, who believe in what we believe in. So political action is obviously very important. And then when you have 3,000 unions and you have two and a half million members, you, and members are out there motivated to do the things that we, we hope they'll do, we can be very successful. We sort with the Constitutional Convention uh, ballot initiative a few years ago. People are heading to the polls for primary day. And when you head to the polls this November, you will see a ballot question for a state constitutional convention. News for us, Angela Christophoros explains what it means. The final vote tally for that initiative was 83 to 17 opposed. Now, we were obviously opposed to it because we wanted to protect. We have some of the strongest labor protections in our state of any state constitution. Um, just uh, for all sectors of the movement, you, for, for instance, public sector pensions cannot be diminished. Uh, for building trades workers, prevailing rate on public works projects is in our constitution. And then certainly for all, for everyone, work, uh, unemployment insurance, the eight-hour day, the right to collectively bargain is in the constitution. So anyway, we won that battle 83 to 17. Now, we know the political climate in this country. You know, a blowout now is 55 to 45. Mm -hmm. If a candidate gets 55% of the vote, he or she is extraordinarily pleased with the, with the success they've had. No, we, so we went 83 to 17 because we were able to coordinate and get everyone together to, to talk about or to understand really what it meant to them and the lives of their families. That's the collective power that the labor movement brings to any conversation when we are all coordinated, working off of that same page, working out of the same playbook fighting for what we believe in. So that's what we do uh, for that. When, uh, in addition to that, when you have, again, two and a half million members, you have 3,000 unions. When there's one union that needs help, you're there for them. Mm -hmm. Our brothers and sisters, whether it was um, our brothers and sisters of CWA and their, their, their problems with Verizon, uh, as an example, and there are plenty of examples, but when, we do it, when you can get brothers and sisters of different unions to be on a picket line, to show support for people who are out on strike, who are basically saying, we are going to forego pay and benefits and protections because we believe in something.
We believe in whatever it is that that particular union is fighting for. When you have brothers and sisters from different unions who you don't know, you don't know the faces, you don't know their names, but they're there to support you. That makes a difference. And in that case, CWA was successful and we applaud them for having the, the wherewithal and the foresight to go out there and fight for what they believe in and having a strategy in place for it. But when everybody else is there to support you, you know, it really gets you through very difficult times. So those are some of the things that we do as a labor movement, not only for ourselves and for each other, but for really what we feel for the greater good of the state of New York. And then to build upon that, I know you, that's how you launched the um, Union Strong campaign. And then being from the communications background, I know you wanted to, um, you know, you believe in engaging in members and, and getting the word out about the work that we're doing. So here we are with this podcast, Union Strong. So talk to me a little bit about that, the whole Union Strong idea. Is that just all part of that solidarity and getting all the sectors together and everybody working together? I think you've, you've mentioned it before when you've been out with your kids, you saw it with the CONCON signs. Mm. And now we're seeing this kind of stamp branding with the Union Strong. Yeah, Union Strong, uh, and it's something obviously, Darcy, that you really lead that effort. But Union Strong is really about taking the, the momentum we had after the Constitutional Convention victory and recognizing that, you know, our members like being part of something greater than themselves. Sort of what my father was saying all those years ago, being part of something bigger than just yourself, being active, being aggressive in, in how you approach things that affect you and your family. Well, that's what Union Strong is about. It's about, it's about a couple of things. First, allowing our members to feel good about being a member, having pride in that membership. But it's also about showing that the, that the labor movement is part of the public discourse in this state. Now, certainly our political leaders understand who we are and what we are and the power and strength that we have in this state. But it's important for the general public, I think, to have an understanding that when we fight for these things, their lives improve as well. And that's part of this as well. We want to have, you know, during the Constitutional Convention campaign, as you know very well, we had bumper stickers and lawn signs and decals on the helmets of our building trades brothers and sisters when they'd go to work. We'd have signs and windows and all these things. So it's not only for that union member themselves who, who puts that lawn sign on their front lawn. It's about the car that drives down, down the block that day and says, what is it? What is a union? What does that mean? What is the AFL-CIO? How? I hear a lot about them, but I don't really understand it. Should I be scared of them? Should I really, should I invite them in? What, is, mm -hmm. what does it mean? If we can get that discourse going in the state and, and more and more people who are outside of our movement to understand that, you know, we are here to, to really, again, as I say quite often, you know, improve the quality of life and the standard of living for working men and women for all of us, then I, I think we can grow stronger as a movement and, and really have people, if they're, if they're going to join a union, great. And if they're not, to have a greater understanding and acceptance of what it is that we're fighting for and understanding that a lot of times there are other groups that we, we reach out to who share our point of view, who share our sense of purpose, and to have them comfortable in joining us in these initiatives, in these campaigns, mm -hmm. whatever they may be, legislatively, grassroots, or otherwise. So that's what we really want to do. And um, I know we've had success, as you mentioned. I see, I live in Rockland County. I see cars with bumper stickers on on their uh, on the back of their cars. Now that says union, that say Union Strong, and different unions now have buttons and, and bumper stickers that are tailored to their particular union. And I think over the next, I'm hoping over the next three to five years, we see more and more of this, and, and it becomes something where we can say, look. Every other house on a block has it or, or every other car in a parking lot in a, whatever city you happen to be in or town in the state of New York has one. 
Uh, I mean, keep in mind, we already represent 24% of the workforce mm-hmm. in this in this state, which is, you know, a quarter of the workforce, which is twice the national average, if you think about it. Um, one out of every seven union members in the country comes from the state of New York. So we have a great base. We have a great history. But we should be able to build on it in a way that, that at least begins to get us back to the numbers that we had in the 70s and 80s. Well, we hope this podcast is going to help to achieve that goal. And so let me put you on the spot. So we're trying to get the word out there. We want to see more people with this branding of the Union Strong. How about we give away 100 baseball caps with Union Strong on them to our first 100 subscribers to this podcast? I would is make that it, something we could do? I would make it the first 200. Okay. And I think it's a boss. great idea. Is. I think right. it's a great idea. And we just want people to start understanding who we are and what we're all about. So I'm all for it, Darcy. Good. We'll give them the information on that uh, toward the end of the episode. Well, thank you very much, Mario. We appreciate you being on the program. And of course, we're going to have you back often. Uh, to talk about some of the other issues that uh, we're pushing uh, throughout the years. Well, thank you, Darcy. I appreciate it. Joining me now is Kevin Eitzman, our digital director. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you very much, Darcy. I'm happy to be here. And you heard the boss. Uh, he he bought into the lure of getting yeah. people to subscribe to the show. Yeah. Uh, 100 to 200. That's yeah. great. We're going to be giving away to everybody. The way you're going to do it is on your phone right now, click subscribe on the podcast, and then go to unionstrongny.com. We're going to have a form to fill out, get us your address, and we will ship it right out to you. Okay. So anywhere they listen to podcasts, they'll be able to do that. And then also within our notes... From this episode, can you put up a link for people to get that form? Yep, absolutely. We'll have the unionstrongny.com right in the show notes. Okay, great. And then where else can uh, people hear more about the New York State AFL-CIO? Come find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, We're there. We want to be in a conversation with you. We're talking to people every day, you know, getting information out for working people. Uh, So like, subscribe, join us in the conversation. Well, great. Thank you very much, Kevin. Uh, For the New York State AFL-CIO, I'm Darcy Wells. Until next time, stay union, stay strong.